future sons and daughters. I'm John Miller, and this is Locked on Mizzou, your destination for partisan Missouri Tigers football and basketball talk three days a week. And indeed, I almost always say partisan at the beginning of this show, but you know what? Today here at the top, I'm not going to be partisan with my thoughts because frankly, I'm much more interested in human behavior than politics. And you can probably tell where I'm going here. I'm going to have to touch on George Floyd and Missouri's response, the peaceful protests this week up at the courthouse by the Missouri football team and other members of the athletic department. So we're going to have to touch on that and also COVID-19 as well because, well, there's some new protocols in place at, at Mizzou, at the athletic department. We're going to get into that as well. And also, later on, yes, another time machine back to 2005. First of all, I just want to say I'm genuinely proud of how the football team and the various other members of the athletic department and other coaches, like I believe Robin Pynchon was there as well. I just think that they handled that really well. Just really classy move to obviously keep it peaceful, number one. They keep they kept the message also very specific to the horrible, what I would classify as the murder of George Floyd, quite honestly. Now, legally, obviously, we'll, we'll see what happens. We'll see what the legal system says. But in my mind, that man was murdered. And the whole kneeling for eight minutes and 46 seconds, well, that's a pretty powerful statement. And I just think the idea that they, they marched together in unison, you know, they didn't, they weren't bothering anybody. They did it during the daytime. Honestly, just a, a powerful, powerful imagery. And I'm just proud of those guys for the fact that they feel strongly about something. And it seems like they really do want to make the world a better place. So just in that spirit, I got to applaud everybody involved with Mizzou right now. And, and if you know me well, you know that, well, I've lived in Columbia for of probably the majority of my life at this point, and in certainly Boone County, the vast majority of my life. And, well, as I record this podcast here in my downtown studio, I'm about probably two, just two blocks away from where that protest took place. And, you know, one thing I notice when I walk by the courthouse is the Civil War Memorial. And I wonder how many of those kids, of those players, took time to take a gander at that Civil War memorial because, well, you'd quickly notice some unique history that is indeed unique to Missouri, and that's that these men, these young men who were killed in the Civil War, well, next to some of their names, you'll see USA, and then to others, you'll see CSA, which of course stands for the Confederate States of America. Missouri was indeed an incredibly bitterly divided state during the Civil War, and honestly, regardless of whether those guys were on the USA side or the Confederate side, one day I would just keep in mind that history is going to judge our time as well. And my point is is that none of these guys, whether they were in the Union or in the Confederacy, would be considered woke by today's standards. And personally, I'm just interested in Instead of judging people from the past, let's, let's just understand what's going on in the past. What went horribly wrong? What went horribly right? And Lord knows, slavery was horrible. I think everybody in this audience will agree with that. 
Well, I'd take it even further and say the Civil War was absolutely horrible, too. Some of you might think it was necessary. But regardless, people in Missouri basically killing each other over territory, over power, over all kinds of whatever various conflicts were involved in that time, that's an ugly part of our history, without question, in my opinion. You know, it just it's one of those things that makes you wonder, what is it to be human? Frankly, that's what I was asking myself down at the World War II Museum in New Orleans. There was a exhibit involving Adolf Eichmann. And, you know, just seeing that that guy on trial, who was basically one of the lead one of the lead Nazis, if you will, just seeing him on trial, seeing his emotionless face as Jewish women, for instance, would talk about how they would be stripped naked and have their heads shaved in a completely dehumanizing fashion. And then the contrast of that is you come out of the exhibit and see the faces on the walls of people in their 80s and 90s who had survived this experience. And frankly, that contrast was just so overwhelming to me, I had to leave the exhibit for a second and gather myself. It was just really heartbreaking and just makes you kind of question everything about what humanity is all about. So honestly, one of my favorite things that is coming out of this, I like that people are emphasizing listening, but I hope they really truly are, are being heard, that everyone is being heard and not just being listened to for, okay, I'm just going to listen until they say something I disagree with and then I'll throw them under the bus. I don't like this whole forced apology culture, quite honestly. Now, the empathy part I love. Listening is good. And when you're listening to somebody, don't just hear the words, but hear, what that, hear where that person is coming from. Look for areas of agreement before you debate. Frankly, I'm just much more of an empath as I get older. And you know, a show like Orange is the New Black, I think, is a great empathy machine. And it's really changed my views, quite honestly, in the last six, seven years of just it made me realize just how harmful and counterproductive our prison system can truly be. Kobe Whiteside, who's a defensive lineman for the Tigers, I thought he had a good quote. He said, our voice does have power. We need to be able to use that power to go out and make changes, not for my generation, but for the generations to come. Think about how life may move. My generation might not see it. Because I know Martin Luther King didn't have the opportunity to see what happened from the end of segregation to now, but it can lead to something greater. And you know what? Speaking of voices, I mentioned Nick Bolton specifically a while back about how I thought, yes, college players do have voices. You see, Gabe DeArmond on Twitter was saying that essentially college athletes are voiceless because there isn't a formal union. But I was saying, wait a second, if Nick Bolton came out and said, you know what, I'm afraid to play football, I, I'm afraid of the coronavirus, I don't, it's not, the risk is not worth the reward to me, you know, that is something that would have reverberated throughout the state, throughout the national sports media, and would have had huge implications, in my opinion. Well, it wasn't a couple le- weeks later, and here we are, Nick Bolton is saying what he thinks about COVID-19. And I will tell you all about that. But first, I do want to tell you guys once again about Built Bar. Because you know what? It's Friday afternoon. I've worked hard this week. And I've done some pretty good stock trading, if I do say so myself. So you know what? I've earned a treat. And that treat 
is going to be Built Bar. Because you know what? Unlike a lot of your candy bars out there, this thing is packed full of protein. In fact, my favorite is the mint brownie, and it has a full 15 grams of protein. And you even have other varieties, especially the nut varieties, are even more protein heavy. Your peanut butter brownie with 20 grams of protein, hey, you can't beat that. And on top of that, just 170 calories, 3 grams sugar, and 3 net carbs. So I highly, I highly recommend you do what I did, and that's get the variety pack. Go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll get $10 off your first order. Again, that's promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. So Missouri star linebacker Nick Bolton recently said, I personally feel safe coming back. And this, he said this at the courthouse, by the way. I feel like it's the safest place for me to be able to work out, still be ready for the fall, and also a safe environment where we're not worried about getting sick. And, well, I, I saw this one coming, quite honestly. I, I had a feeling that most Mizzou football players would be chomping at the bit to get back on the field. And obviously, if you're willing to play college football, you've got a bit higher of a risk tolerance than, for instance, the people in academia who are making some of these new protocol decisions, for instance. And speaking of those administrators and what have you, there is a bit of a change of plans here from Mizzou. A couple weeks ago, they were fairly adamant saying that mandatory testing of all athletes when they came back on campus was unnecessary based on what their medical experts were saying. Well, I wonder if maybe some legal experts may have caught their ear as well because, well, now Mizzou is going to test each and every football player for sure, and I believe every other athlete as well, at least initially when they get onto campus. And then after that, it looks like they'll just, you know, it's not as though they're going to test every single person every single day, but then from there, it'll just be your basic temperature testing when people enter the facility. And you know what? Honestly... Well, that might be, it could be considered overkill. It might be maybe a little bit overly safe, one could argue. Frankly, for the cost, I get it. I don't think that's that kooky to test everybody once when they initially get back. I really don't. Now, apparently, Jim Sterk said each test will be about $85. So just for the football team alone, that's let's say it's 100 guys, just to make the math easy for me. So about $8,500, let's say it's $10,000 just to round up. Well, as I said recently on this show, Mizzou spent over $50,000 on one recruiting weekend. A lot of that stuff was just entertainment and food. So the idea of spending ten grand just to make absolutely sure that we know what the COVID situation is, I don't know, that strikes me as a pretty reasonable expenditure. Now having said that, based on the news we've gotten recently about how there really haven't been any new cases, maybe one case. Again, this is from the head of the Missouri Health Department, the Missouri Health Director, I should say, said no new COVID-19 cases from those Lake of the Ozarks crowd that a bunch of crowds that a bunch of people were freaking out about almost two weeks ago at this point. So frankly, what that tells me is COVID-19, while it may be a big deal, in New York City still, and I don't have a, a doubt about that, it sure doesn't seem like it's around a whole lot here in mid-Missouri and just Missouri in general, maybe outside of a couple hot spots. Certainly, 
hanging out, a bunch of 20-year-olds hanging outside in chlorine-infused water doesn't seem to be a problem, that's for sure. And, and my point in bringing this up again is not to pat myself on the back, although eh, I did get this one right, I have to admit. But I think as we're still trying to decide how many people should be allowed into the stands at Faro Field, I frankly don't think there should be any restrictions. I think people, as many people who want to get in there, get in there. If the capacity is 65,000, then it should still be 65,000. Now, having said that, if they want us to all wear masks, cool, fine. I'm cool with that. I can, I can, <laughs> I can compromise. I really can. Speaking of the Missouri compromise, well, I'm able to compromise as well. Remember, I was the person who said that I didn't think back in March, I didn't think it was crazy to have the NCAA tournament without fans. But what I did think was crazy was canceling the NCAA tournament entirely. And frankly, with the benefit of hindsight, that was a pretty good take, wasn't it? None of these basketball age players are at risk. And honestly, if there's some 70 plus year old coach that feels like he is at risk, well, maybe he just will have to not be there. Maybe he'll have to socially distance. I don't know, something like that. But the idea that the NCAA basically lost a half a billion dollars by not playing the tournament, well, that's now put their entire organization in jeopardy. I mean, they can't afford to do that again next year. There's no chance whatsoever. Now, they would have lost, according to Bruce Feldman, they would have probably lost $200 million without having fans. But again, an additional $500 million by not having the games on TV. That's just a brutal financial hit that, frankly, the NCAA put itself in because of spurious info. I'm sorry, that's just the reality. Again, my main objection has always been one size fits all. It can't just be, oh, we all have to shut down all at once for months on end. That just can't be the answer. So, again, I think based on Missouri's circumstances, I think we can all put on some masks and go have some fun at Tiger football this fall. That's just my take. So with that said, let's take a trick back to 2005. So after a bitterly disappointing 2004 Mizzou football season in which the Tigers tried to make Brad Smith into more of a pocket passer, Mizzou put in a new offense in the offseason that focused on a lot of empty five-receiver sets. Often a running back would line up as a receiver on the boundary and then said running back would motion into the backfield. Frankly, at the time, it was so different, my young mind couldn't process it. But, and honestly, when I saw it at the spring game, I wasn't amused. I was like, really, this is what we're doing? It almost seemed like we were doubling down on the Brad as a pocket passer thing. But it turns out the reason for this new offense was twofold. Number one, it fit what Chase Daniel did in high school. And secondly, Mizzou also felt that by spreading out the offense that it would open up running lanes for Brad Smith, get some more defenders out of the box. And you know what? They were right. It mostly worked. The 2005 team scored a lot of points with a couple exceptions. They only scored three against Kansas in a 10-point loss and 12 against the eventual Big 12 North champions Colorado in a 41-12 defeat. But, you know, long-term, obviously the 2007-2008 offenses were the best two in school history. So clearly the foundation was set here in 2005. 
And as I've you know evolved as a football fan and a football analyst, you know I've found now I personally believe that it really is easier to read coverages, especially pre-snap from empty formations. But the trade-off is your line better block well and your QB better be able to buy time in the pocket because obviously there are no backs or tight ends in to help with protection. Now Mizzou started off this campaign with a kind of an odd victory. And by odd, I just mean it was a very empty or I'm sorry, Arrowhead Stadium. Maybe 30,000 people were there. They beat Arkansas State, got off to a decent start there. But the home opener, man, I can still hear the sad Faroe PA announcer saying, touchdown, New Mexico. Hank Basket, hey, remember that name? Well, if you're a Mizzou football fan, you probably remember him for this great game. But the rest of the country <laughs> came to know Mr. Basket because he was the husband of Kendra Wilkinson, one of the girls next door the show that chronicled the lives of Hugh Hefner's three girlfriends at the time. And in fact, Kendra and Hank got married at the Playboy Mansion in 2009. Isn't that sweet? But while the offense was humming along pretty good for the most part, Missouri would lose three of its last four games of the regular season. And well, again, coming off that disappointing 4 season, there was some doubt about Gary Pinkle's job security. But Missouri was good enough to at least sneak into a bowl game at 6-5, and five, playing their future SEC mates in the South Carolina Gamecocks. Well, famously, Missouri was down 21 to nothing in that game. It looked like they were about to go down 28 to nothing when on the Missouri goal line, South Carolina would throw an interception. Marcus King took it to the house, 99 yards for a touchdown, made it 21-7. All, and then it was just kind of all Mizzou offense from there on out. Smith was unstoppable. 38-31, to 31, Missouri victory. Awesome to see Brad get to hoist that trophy in his final game in a Missouri uniform. And, well, obviously, 06, we'd be on to the Chase Daniel era. So, you know, again, this 05 season, kind of an in-betweener. You know, a new offense, Brad's end, Chase's beginning as a true freshman. But obviously an incredibly important season, and gosh, if Missouri ends up, say they give up a touchdown there in that Independence Bowl and go down 28 nothing, the odds of them coming back are pretty much nil, and who knows, maybe it spirals out of control and they end up losing 42-14 to or something. Who knows if Gary Pinkle is even kept around. So one of the pivotal moments of all time in this program, that's for sure. And you know what, y'all? I'm looking at the clock, and I think, I, I think I'm about out of time here, so... We're going to hold the 2005 basketball team, that whole roundup. We're going to push that to Monday and to next week's show. So hope you all will forgive me for my lack of time management here. Very Andy Reid adjacent by me. Bad job, bad job. But you know what? You'll never do a bad job by listening to our friends over at Locked On, the NFL Draft. Be sure to check them out on Apple Podcasts or follow on Spotify. So... Until next time, I'm John Miller, and this has been Locked on Mizzou.